Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummis. I'm here with Tom Fox for another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills. We believe leadership is a skill which can be improved with study of both good and bad practices. We try to draw interesting examples from many sources, including history, fiction, film, and business writing. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Today we'll be discussing a trifecta of failed leaders. Travis Kalanick of Uber, Adam Neumann of WeWork, and Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. We've done podcasts on each of these case studies individually, but we thought it would be instructive to compare and contrast the three. I kind of saw this as a continuum ranging from fraud to actual business success combined with hubris on the part of the founder and put WeWork somewhere in the middle. I know you have a slight difference of opinion on that, so where would you like to start? So uh, these are three of just the most recent failures. Uh, They were certainly public. Uh, all unicorns, um, all very much in the, in the public eye, uh, <clears throat> with visionary leaders. Uh, I saw this as a continuum in a different direction, which was starting with Travis Kalanick, and um, uh, perhaps uh, the Greek uh, poets were right, hubris <laughs> is the greatest sin, or the greatest character defect, I should say, um, uh, and his hubris brought down his leadership of Uber. It didn't bring down the company. Um, Elizabeth Holmes, um, based upon uh, Bad Blood, uh, the book we both read, uh, I really thought her she had a vision and tried to um, create a product, product around that vision. That vision was uh, something that could test blood in minuscule amounts, literally a pinprick amount. And in Bad Blood, it really detailed how for at least four or five years, she tried to create... Uh, a mechanical contraption that could do it, and they were stymied by a variety of uh, technical issues uh, around both the mechanics and uh, uh, quality of uh, the blood that was uh, being tested. But at some point around 2011, uh, something changed, and they went to outright deception, moving into fraud, and now Elizabeth Holmes is uh, under criminal indictment for fraud. Uh, moving to Adam Newman, and um, here I, w- I wouldn't use the word fraud, but I would use the word huckster. And his vision uh, to elevate the world through better office space <laughs> uh, and become president of the world uh, and to uh, do a variety of other things that he envisioned just didn't, it seemed to me, all I could think of is Amy Simple McPherson. Yeah. And... Um, Hopefully, listeners will understand that reference. But uh, it, it just seemed to me uh, he was able to con a lot of people to give him a lot of money, starting with uh, SoftBank and giving him billions of dollars uh, to run the company in a way that he personally saw fit. He was ousted as CEO, uh, and he was given a golden parachute of over a, a billion dollars uh, in, in the face of 
literally 12,000 people being uh, laid off, um, starting with the Thanksgiving holidays. So um, it seemed to me to be three different types of leadership styles, but really all three, I think, um, had certain characteristics uh, in them that we can explore in the terms of uh, leadership. So with, um, once again, um, Newman was able to keep uh, any scrutiny or, or his company from being scrutinized by any investors. Um, there were clear signs of uh, self-dealing, uh, but because of his control and, most importantly, people giving him money, he didn't have to uh, answer to anyone and he didn't have to rectify those. Um, Kalanick was seen as someone who was extraordinarily hard-charging, certainly disruptive, certainly visionary, um, and, uh, but when things went wrong, um, his actions really didn't match uh, his words. And then with um, Elizabeth Holmes, um, really I can't identify what it was that caused the change, but there was pretty clearly a change uh, that um, she, the, the Theranos system did not work, the product didn't work, uh, she wouldn't let anyone look at the product. She knew the product wouldn't, didn't work. And unfortunately for her, she made a very public show of saying it did work. And she was able to get people to continue to give her money uh, without being able to do any due diligence on whether the product worked or not. The, well, we talked about the cult of the founder with respect to all three of these. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about with respect to Kalanick is he'd worked for years working you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, I wonder how much that has to do with this. Do they just flame out? <laughs> it, it, it's incredibly demanding to do what these people do. And most of them don't seem to do it very well for very long um, before they have some sort of collapse like this. Well, um, it's interesting you look at it that way because of the three, I really thought only Kalanick had the collapse. And it was um, not sort of a one or two day and he was done or gone. It was a six month or maybe four to five month extraordinarily public series of events, series of uh, his past catching up to him, uh, public perception changing. Um, the Me Too movement was a big part of that the inability to, of him to craft a coherent response, additional unforced errors, and I think finally a board recognizing that uh, they had something of value and he was damaging that value and they had to remove him to move forward. With um, Holmes, um, she, absolutely, she controlled, I think, 99.95% of the board, so there was no chance that she was going to be removed. Uh, and the board was just as abysmal and pathetic a board performance as you could have ever seen in terms of 110% support of her all the time. Um, and then with uh, Adam Newman, once again, um, there it was a little bit different because he had a, I'm not quite sure what relationship, with the, the um, founder of SoftBank, but uh, that founder was basically going to allow him to do anything and fund him to do anything. So three different sorts of models there. Uh, a couple of things that uh, I would say are um, 
with all three of those, one of which we've talked about at some length in this series of podcasts, which is the cult of personality. And that not only does the leader believe they can do no wrong, uh, they communicate that belief and people believe that belief. So you have, and once again, we've talked about him and he looms over all of these podcasts as Steve Jobs. I think that was an absolute spot on description of Steve Jobs. But Steve Jobs had people who could deliver the products that he saw in his head. Um, and uh, he was actually a part of that design process as well. Um, but there's something else going on here that Steve Jobs didn't have. And that's really um, what, um, see if I can, uh, Mark Epstein and Rob Shelton writing in Business Insider called asymmetric power. And that comes in two ways. One is control of the board, uh, which is what Elizabeth Holmes had, 100% control of the board. Um, with um, Adam Newman, it was control because he had an open checkbook. Uh, and with Kalanick, it was because the board, uh, although he did have super voting rights, uh, the board actually chose to, to back him. And, uh, and so in three different ways, these visionaries had control over the board. The board was supposed to be independent, but um, it really wasn't. And then in addition to the board issue, is the informational control issue or opaqueness. Um, the, each one of these uh, leaders control the information. Elizabeth Holmes perhaps is the most stark example that she would not let any of her investors do any due diligence on the uh, product that she was peddling, the Theranos, uh, Theranos product that she uh, said could test blood. And anyone who raised questions was uh, uh, discreetly asked to leave. And uh, so we had a situation, particularly with Walgreens, where uh, their uh, technical staff who wanted to perform due diligence were removed from the acquisition team. So uh, the opaqueness in terms of information only goes uh, one way, and that's to the uh, charismatic founder. So each one of those um, individuals, I think, controlled information uh, so that the board, uh, even had it chosen to exercise its uh uh, obligations for control, didn't have the information to do so. And I think in an earlier podcast on Super Pumped, you talked about uh, Lewandowski um, uh, alleged theft of trade secrets and that uh, this was noted in the due diligence acquisition report when Uber bought his company and somehow that information never got to the board. Yeah. Well, yeah, the roles of the boards in these cases is, is rather sobering. Um, but it's also the investors here who showed a willful blindness. Um, now, I, I think with Kalanick, you're, you're correct. They eventually came around to seeing that he was no longer uh, a positive force for the company and needed to be removed in order to save their own hides. But but so they, they actually got around to doing it. It seems to me that Norman's big failure was, well, hubris, of course, but when he agreed to do the S-1, um, because that brought all this stuff out to, out to, from under the rocks. And that released the information that you're talking about he was, so he was so capable at sequestering prior to that. That's a really interesting take on this, that because uh, he allowed the S-1 to go forward. Um, if the point of the company is to go public, and it is uh, at some point to cash in to, with investors like us. Um, 
you're going to have to do an S-1. But do you think that was Neumann's point or just his investors? I think they may have had a divergence on this because Neumann was already taking significant sums out in right. terms of borrowings as well as selling his stock. So going public was really uh, when you've already borrowed so get $740 million <laughs> of your stock. Uh, that, that's a really interesting point. And, and it really brings home uh, something that uh, I mentioned in an earlier podcast. But I want to emphasize again that the market can work, and particularly with WeWork, I think the market worked. And uh, the market is not simply Tom Fox and Richard Lummis investing or uh, any number of, of institutional investors investing. It is a process by which you have access to capital, and that access to capital requires you to make certain disclosures. Uh, you have to disclose your corporate governance. You have to disclose uh, insider trading or, or self-dealing. Uh, you have to um, disclose uh, who you might owe money to. Uh, you have to disclose a wide variety of, um, if you have material weaknesses in your controls, you have to disclose the status of your controls. So the corporate governance structures are required under securities laws to be disclosed. And that can be a discipline. That can be a control in and of itself. But also here, the market, I think, uh, was repulsed by the failures uh, in these basic corporate governance standards uh, and was not willing to accept uh, investment. Now, um, obviously, the valuation was uh, uh, critical as well. But once again, uh, the market refused the uh, pre-IPO suggested valuation of $47 billion. And... Um, uh, that the it seemed to me that these disparate parts of what we call the market all work together in the situation around uh, we work, but uh, I think they did in Uber's case too. When you and, look at it, and in Uber's case, or if we want to look at another company, Peloton, mm -hmm. uh, that went public, um, uh, original valuation of twenty five dollars a share, and immediately dropped. I think about thirty percent, and uh, one set of commentary at. Uh, railed on um, how the the age of the IPO was over, and and I saw it as completely different that a robust IPO market, but the market setting the price uh, rather than uh, some uh, owner or uh, key investor saying this is what the price will be in the market uh, because the stock price is simply uh, future expectations of value. Well, and I think what's one of the interesting things to me about these cases is the people in the inner circle who actually deal personally with these charismatic founders are the ones with the absurd valuations. It's the ones in the New York office crunching the numbers who are saying, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, how is this changing the world? So um, the uh, Business Insider article also had a couple of lessons that I'd like to explore around uh, how you deal with uh, charismatic founders and leaders. And the first one was, um, and really I don't think this would be any surprise, the presence of an authoritarian trailblazer requires special handling. Handling, yes, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, and the handling, I would suggest, Richard, is really the board to have more of a firm guiding hand. And here I do not mean grandma speaking sternly to her grandson, don't do that. 
I mean actual, uh, not control, but management. And that's the responsibility of the board is oversight and management. And so um, I think some boards are very good at that and can be very good at that. Uh, but the professionalism at the board level has to take its game up a notch when you have this sort of trailblazer uh, founder or leader. One of the uh, interesting stories about Uber that we didn't have time to cover was that um, after a couple of the initial rounds of funding, Bill Gurley of Benchmark tried to introduce Kalanick to an, another guy who, was, who served as a mentor to other people in Silicon Valley and helped them make the transition from startup to grown-up, as, as I like to phrase it. But um, just bad luck, the guy had cancer and was taking on no more. Uh, mentees and so you know things could have turned out differently if that had happened but that that's a that's an informal structure that uh, I guess in some cases in Silicon Valley had served as a substitute for the the strict board oversight um, that was maybe a gentler control on these giant egos and then the second point they have um, is the best action to govern thrive and survive depends on the type of visionary you're dealing with and and I also saw that as, as a correct statement because the three founders we've talked about, Elizabeth Holmes, Adam Newman, and Travis Kalanick, all were different types of visionaries. So um, with some, uh, you with Newman perhaps, uh, or Elizabeth Holmes, you risk uh, getting in the way and curtailing their value. But with others, uh, complacency is a, is a huge mistake. So left unsupervised, uh, their behavior could destroy the company. I'm that's certainly true in the case of Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, Kalanick seemed to be a little bit different. Um, but uh, once again, to your final, your last point, Richard, uh, it does require a deft touch, and we didn't see that in any of these. Well, I, one of the things that struck me is all of these claim to be world-breaking, disruptive uh, changes. If Theranos had worked, it would have been um, Uber, I think, has been. Um, I think it, it has certainly changed the uh, the transportation industry, in my opinion, for the better. Um, WeWork, I think we both agree, is, is an, an outlier on that. But does iconoclasm necessarily have a messianistic component? Because these people, I think Neumann certainly saw himself as, as a messiah of some sort, or at least claimed to. Um, Kalanick, I think, at various points felt he was that way, too, that he was, he was above the, the rules. Perhaps even a road to Damascus component. <laughs> uh, certainly, I think that, uh, that would be actually true of Elizabeth Holmes yeah. uh, and her vision as well. Um, and then the last article we looked at was one uh, entitled When to Fire the Boss, A Tale of Three Sackings by Dan Archer, which appeared in uh, The Business Reporter. Uh, and he quoted a, a, a source for really the following line, a boss should quit or be booted out when their staff and investors lose faith in their ability to deliver on their vision. And, and I thought that was, as general a statement that is, was absolutely spot on. If they can no longer deliver and they truly have become a distraction, it's time for them to leave. And we saw various levels of success in these three corporations with getting uh, the leaders to leave, no success in Theranos. Um, Uber, uh, they did terminate uh, or move Kalanick out. The same with Numan. 
Uh, Uber's a little bit further along in the process since they have gone IPO in our public company. It's unclear uh, when, if ever, WeWork will uh, take that step, or the We company, as I suppose we should say. Um, but uh, if they're really not creating value, then then perhaps it's just time to move on. Well, I think that's right. But the question is, at what point? Well, and in certain cases, they, they become actively destructive of value. Right. And many of these people have such egos that they simply cannot let go of any lever of control, I think, um, without being totally removed. Well, this has been a fascinating exploration, Richard. We've had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, we've we've focused on the spectacular failures because they're spectacular. Um, but I think they're also exaggerated instances of problems that people see every day in other contexts. For now, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox with 12 O'Clock High. Hope you'll check in next time. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.